Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Chase and Discomfort podcast. Our guest this week is Podrick Flynn, and I'm super excited to dive into this subject, a subject that's been close to my heart for the last few years. But Podrick, before we dive into that, what does it mean for you to chase discomfort and why? Um, I think it's, yeah, I think it, for me it's in, you know, it's kind of important to, you know, with the, the kind of modern stresses of, you know, modern life and things that kind of are thrown at you every day. I think it's important that um, people get into their bodies. I think the best way to do that is, you know, as the phrase kind of suggests, chasing discomfort. I think it's about getting out of the mind, um, you know, change up your um, change up your kind of mindsets, growing confidence, self-esteem. Um, so, yeah, I really like this kind of idea of, of using that as a kind of, you know, mental health boost i guess because nothing's more important than your kind of mental well-being how happy you are and how you're feeling on a kind of daily basis so that's what that means to me yeah love it quality answer carnivore talk to me <laughs> yes um so yeah so really it's grown hasn't it i don't know about you i don't know what your experience is with the um the kind of diet the movement but for me i found that Obviously, I got into it during the lockdown, so I'm only in it coming up to two years now. So not not a really long period of time, but I do feel it's it's very slowly. It's it's not as big in the UK as in as it is in the US, but we're we're kind of getting there. We're kind of we've got that kind of low carb umbrella with keto and um, what else have you got? Yeah, animal based, I guess, which is a bit more bit more loose. And then yeah, obviously, what I'm kind of trying to trying to big up and promote, which is the um, the carnivore diet, which is just yeah. As the name suggests, just eating as much meat as possible. So, um, yeah, it's exciting. I've had really good results. I was, um, you know, a bit of a, a bit of a fatty before I before I got into um, carnivore. I tried everything under the sun in terms of like trying to lose weight by shakes and you know, fad fad diets. Every fad diet under the sun, and um, for whatever reason, this is the one that just worked for me. So, um, yeah, we're, we're growing in numbers. UK, it seems to be picking up slowly but surely. So hopefully as many people as we can push them back against the kind of a lot of the propaganda that's coming out of the, the vegan and the plant-based sectors. Um, and yeah, a lot of people getting really, really, really encouraging results from from their experiments with the diet. So all good news on my on my side. So if someone had just landed from space and said to you, what is the carnivore diet? What would be your response? Um, I would say if, if I was to put it simply, I would say it's, I quite like this uh, acronym that I heard a while ago. It's people taking their meds. So it'd be meat, eggs, dairy, and seafood. Um, so I think basing your diet kind of 80, 90% around those kind of four subgroups and then, um, kind of people, a lot of people are kind of flexible with it. So we've, we've got a very loose definition of carnivore, which means that, um, some people tend to add fruit and honey. Some people kind of, that doesn't really work for them, so they go zero carb. Um, so yeah, I would say, for, for me anyway, I'd, a rough definition would be kind of 80, 90% kind of meat and eggs and dairy center in front of your diet. And I think the rest is kind of open to a little bit of personal interpretation. And if you can sort of rewind the clock then to back to the, the lockdown days when you first mm. got into it, the first question is is why and how? You know, how did you hear about it? What what made you go down the road? What made you decide to try it? Yeah, so I, I distinctly remember I was 
kind of yeah obviously lockdown we had a lot of time to ourselves so i just remember just becoming completely disillusioned with the stuff i was you know you're at home you're hearing stuff in the media and you just you just you know there's a barrage of lies coming at you in one form or another and i just that kind of made me you know i had a lot of introspection then and then i was looking at my food and i just i can't remember if i was eating cereal or something some other bs kind of food and i was just thinking you know these big companies they when there's a profit motive involved they they just lie through their teeth and it was kind of the same with the food industry for me so actually my my, my foot in the door was um sean baker i'm not sure if you've heard about yeah, about, yeah him the big guy so um i think i just started watching some of his videos on youtube and he used to do this kind of yeah vlog where he'd just kind of um kind of talk at the end of each day and he'd you know what he's doing just, just seemed really cool he was kind of lifting heavy eating steak every day just keeping it simple obviously this guy's a doctor as well so um you know he really knows what he's talking about um so yeah just a real kind of real strong resonance with what he was saying um and yeah i've, I've had a i had a kind of carb sugar addiction for for years real real problem with my sweet tooth where i just had to have sugar every day so i looked at the carnivore kind of diet as elimination diet getting that rubbish out first and um yeah it's worked to treat really yeah my my sort of first experience was uh the joe rogan podcast with dr sean baker right and, and again i'd heard about it prior to that but when you hear the likes of you know someone from his background a doctor a surgeon um you know and, and his experience with it and obviously being an older man being in very good condition um, and then you hear the likes of Paul Saladino as well, you know, who goes down, he deep dives right into the science. Sometimes mm. he looks, I'm not going to lie, I've read his book. Um, but when you, when you hear these guys that are, you know, trying to find the most optimal nutrition for performance, for mental health, for well-being, for overall disease control, you know, for just living a better life. And, you know, if you've got almost like the two poster boys, if you like, of the carnivore world, both being doctors. For mm. me, like, well, there's there's got to be more than just anecdotal anecdotal stuff in this where people are saying, you know, they've at this way for 20 years and, you know, they don't have any health conditions. Yeah. So for me, it was like um, uh, the questions that I get from family, friends, etc., is how much do you spend on meat a week and what do you eat? And I, and I just trying to say to him, look, you know, when you're in a restaurant on a Saturday night and you've just ordered a great big juicy ribeye or a great big steak and that anticipation of that first bite, that first mouthful, like when you're salivating and you're, you know, all your senses are heightened. And for, for me, that's almost like how it is with every single meal. Mm. But I just want to get your experiences from the start. You know, when you talked about the sugar cravings, because that's something that I can relate to and I'm sure a lot of people can you know um, we get these almost like uncontrollable desires for you know Snickers bar or donut or you see stuff at work someone's birthday they're bringing cakes you know it's that those sort of temptations around the checkout aisles at supermarkets petrol stations you know 95% of this food is made in factories by scientists it's all about profit it's all about trying to get you to buy it the branding, etc. Mm. Uh, I'd love you just to sort of go through your early experiences with, you know, shifting, you know, getting off of that sugar craving, that sugar drive, and and how it all went for you at the start. 
Yeah, just trying to think now. I think because I what I did first was the keto diet, but I didn't do that for much for for long. What I did was a keto diet, but it was like it was pretty much every day I was having cheeseburgers. Yep. So I actually I just kind of fell into carnivore quite naturally because the meat I was craving. Mm -hmm. um, the good thing about the sugar cravings is that, as you probably might know yourself, if you can eliminate it for, I would say for me it was probably after you've done like three or four days no sugar and for me it was always i was fine throughout the day even back in my kind of high addiction days but what happened is that when i had dinner i would i'd have my dinner and i'd be quite full i wouldn't necessarily be a, an unhealthy dinner i'd be you know nominally full but actually what happened is that half an hour after i'd finished eating there was this really and i know it was the kind of bacteria that the sugar were feeding that we had really serious craving so what I basically just had to do is I, um, the first few days was just do something, do like exercise or keep busy for that period after dinner or go for a walk, just do something to occupy the mind. And then actually once I managed to go a few days without the sugar, all the bacteria that were um, kind of causing the cravings were, were kind of we died out and the, the cravings were eliminated essentially. So um, yeah, I think what else helps is um, a really, if you, if you know, prioritize fat in your dinner, um so maybe it might have been just having like an extra like a bit of cheese on the side or just kind of maybe a few more eggs or whatever it is whatever you chose i think the high fat kind of element of that helped with the the sugar cravings as well but it is it's a hell of a drug it's really just yeah i just i don't i can't i don't even think we can comprehend the amount of damage that it's done in the last kind of 50 years to you know our health as a species let alone kind of individual cases but I think I think the carnivore diet is a really powerful lever for people who are who might be out there, either your listeners or people who are kind of still grappling with with that because it's it's a it's a big addiction. And I think like alcohol as well, people don't realise that they have it. So you think that having you know a, you know I don't know yogurts every day, and you know even in the things that you don't expect a chocolate bar after dinner, but the fact that it's every day, you can't go without having it, kind of highlights that yeah. I think the best approach is um, just to go cold turkey and eliminate it kind of fully, to be honest. Yeah, I went down the whole 30 approach at the start and it was like a sugar-free diet. So still, you know, with starches and carbs. Um, but the when you read the labels of food, it's amazing, you know, what sugar's in. It will be in a, in a salad dressing. It will be in yeah. a salt. Um, it, it, you might pick up, um, like the cooked chicken, um, but because it's caramelized in like a brown sugar, you know, it's, it's amazing what it's actually added to. Um, and, you know, what a sweet tooth we must have, you know, as, an, as a nation and, and potentially a world, you know, for all these bits of added sugar in. Yeah. Can you, can you share with us, because I think this is a real important part, because, you know, you know obesity is, um, is, you know, potentially a... a a bigger crisis than what the, the whole sort of COVID crisis that we've come out of recently. Yeah. Uh, you know, you mentioned that you've lost some weight on it. So how much weight have you lost since starting this diet? Um, I'd have to be quite generic because um, I think at my, my kind of heaviest, I was about maybe, I think I was around just under 15 stone. And now I'm at about 13, maybe 13 and a half so what's that that's um maybe one and a half two stone 
Mm-hmm. Um, but that's kind of compounded by the fact that I've kind of started using the gym as well. So I've piped on not, you know, not huge amounts of muscle, but um, that would have kind of, yeah, negated a little bit the the weight loss. Um, so yeah, a couple, couple of stone. Um, yeah, it's just kind of, yeah, obviously that's weight loss is one kind of, you know, my, my skin's got a lot better. I used to have quite bad kind of dandruff and things like that, which have kind of cleared up. Um, digestion's not really a problem. Brain fog is just almost non-existent now, especially in the mornings. I'm just like clear as anything because, um, so yeah, not really having much of the ultra process junk that I would have done kind of five, six years ago. So, so yeah. And what about your energy levels? How would you describe them? Yeah, energy levels, um, I'd say generally high. Um, I found, weirdly, I found that they, I don't know what it was a few couple of months ago where actually they were quite low i was feeling a bit of drag um but what i did is i start started to um well started originally to just uh, kind of bring back in a few carbs um healthy kind of whole food carbs like uh you know organic fruits and things like that um and i feel a lot better for it actually at the moment um so yeah i'm tinkering a little bit at the moment with the carbs i'm not i just you know kind of be i'm honest with people i don't really find the zero carb or the you know you've got the other end of the scale like the your saladino who is chugging honey hugging honey in the morning and eating kind of you know 200 plus grams of carbs a day which i don't think it's um a sensible approach for someone who's approach coming on the diet from a weight loss perspective or a diabetic insulin resistance kind of approach um but yeah i think i might need to kind of maybe it's not the carbs maybe it's just the amount of kind of fat that i was eating maybe that wasn't high enough mm-hmm. um but yeah, no, generally at the moment I feel and energy levels are quite high. So, you know, I'm managing to get through the workday kind of without any cravings for sugar or anything like that and kind of doing relatively okay in the gym. I'm injured at the moment. I've got a bit of a shoulder niggle, but that aside, I think, yeah, generally, generally quite high. Yeah. So the biggest question I think for people out there that, you know, have not researched the carnivore diet or the animal-based diet or the, the sort of keto approach is what do you eat in a day what's a typical day of food look like for you <laughs> yeah that's a good question um it it depends basically depending on kind of if i'm at work or not and i normally have like a it recently it's been two meals a day so two mad and then i'm kind of again experimenting a little bit trying to take that down to omad trying to get um some of the benefits of intermittent fasting um i i kind of traditionally intermittent fasted but only like 16 8 window mm-hmm. now i'm trying to kind of build that towards a more you know kind of trying to push towards 20 because um you know I've, I've tried that over the last week and i've felt quite a big difference so i want to see how that goes over the next two weeks but yeah sorry getting back to what i'm eating normally i'd you know for a packed lunch what kind of work in a school so um i bring in um normally it's kind of i don't really like cold beef which is one of the downsides to steak is great and beef is great, but it's not great cold. And uh, so, yeah, I tend to rely on kind of things like bacon, eggs, cheese. So I'll do like a little kind of mix and match. Lunch won't be too big. Maybe a bit of Greek yogurt. Again, that's only something I've introduced in the last two months, um, which is I really enjoy because actually people who struggle with um, sugar addiction, if you substitute in Greek yogurt, which does have a little bit of sugar in it but it's quite generally quite low carb 
um i think that can be a good um a good uh good kind of outlet and then if i was to have dinner i'd probably have either maybe i'll make up some burgers um i might have a steak i'll try and get in steak about two or three times a week obviously i can't afford it every day um but my cheat meal was kind of like just getting a uh, a pack of mints from Sainsbury's or the supermarket. It's less than two quid for the twenty percent fat me- mints. Fry that off, a few eggs, bit of cheese, loads of salt, and then yeah, I'm laughing really. So um, yeah, that'd be my typical day. I don't really have a kind of you know set kind of I'm, I'm eating this every day. I kind of play around a little bit, but there there'd be my basics, my go tos. You, you typically skip breakfast, then your first meal of the day would be around lunchtime. Yeah, correct. Yeah, I, I, I try to get, I try to get it early actually, so maybe about eleven. Um, yeah, just because I get a bit hungry around then, and I quite like eating a little bit earlier than the midday. Um, I might have a, a kind of coffee in the morning about eight. I try and push that back as, as much as possible. Um, again, I kind of I kind of like milky coffee. That's a bit of a weakness of mine. Um, so sometimes I don't get the the window that I want, but I do eat uh, uh, dinner quite early. So I'll have dinner like five, maybe five or five. So I try and get as much as the window for for the next the next morning. Mm. I've been playing about with intermittent fasting and intermittently intermittent fasting because I listen to a lot of um, Andrew Huberman stuff. Yeah. You know, are you saying like potentially, you know, if you're constantly intermittent fasting, can crash your hormones? Yeah go into a little bit of like survival mode um but i think it's all dependent like you say if if you're someone who's got a lot of weight to shift then you've got all that fat that you want to burn so potentially you know if you, if you are significantly overweight and you want to one of the best things you can do for your metabolic conditioning would be to do go into like a 24-hour fast so you turn your body into that fat burning you know using that as its primary energy source um but yeah, for me, I, the first time I, I experienced carnivore, I done forty-five days straight. Um, that was meat and dairy and salt. Um, no, no carbs. No, none at all. And and even though my energy levels were great, I just felt like my training was just a little bit off of point. Um, and I actually broke that 45 days, believe it or not, with a whole tub of salted caramel hagen dazs <laughs> the, the next day, I can honestly say I felt like I had a, a really, really bad hangover. Like I'd been punched in the back of the head and, and I, I couldn't believe how bad I felt off of that. Um, so then I've been playing about this year pretty much eating nothing but meat, fruit, honey and I'd, lo- I'd love to say raw dairy, but I'll be honest with you, I find it tough trying to source. And also, it's quite pricey as well. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So I'll stick with typically like, you know, uh, the Greek yogurt. I call it phage, but I think it's pronounced fahar. Uh, Faye, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I'll, I'll eat the 5% um, Faye yogurt or the 10% one out of Marks is um, yeah, lovely. quite decent. So, and I've just found that for specifically my training, because some of the stuff I do can be quite intense, uh, the addition of that fruit and honey and and, and the dairy has just given me um, almost like more confidence in in the animal-based diet to, to know that I can fall back on a banana or some dates or an orange if I know that I want to recover from a from a big session. Yeah. Uh, predominantly, my my fruit and carbs is post a workout. 
I will have something small before, like maybe a banana and a couple of dates. Right. Uh, but for me, uh, I just find that that fruit part such a clean energy. Um, you know, I don't get the spikes or the crashes or the low yeah. or the brain fog with it. So it's something that um, I've, I've been playing with this year and, and really like. Um, so that's that is is an option for people that you know that if if eating meat alone seems a little bit scary at the start. Um, but I think that that the point I'm trying to get to is that we have to become our own sort of guru, if you like, and play with what works for us because we're all different and our bodies genetically, you know, will deal with foods in a, you know, different capacity, you know, for the likes of people that have EpiPens and are allergic to certain uh, food types and, and stuff, you know, obviously they, you need to um, put yourself in a situation where, you know, you're not going to put your body at harm. But if you look at all the junk food that's out there, you know, um, unfortunately I look at my own children in the morning and sometimes it makes me cry inside because they're eating bagels with Nutella and oh. biscuit spread. And it's almost like a dessert. And yeah. We have this little battle in my house where I'm the odd one out. Um, I'm the I'm the one with a, an eating disorder. <laughs> <laughs> this has been talked about recently. And, and I just wish, like, I, and I don't mean it in any other way than a, a point of caring from people that, I think the food education in our in our country is is very poor. Like I don't think people fully appreciate what's a carbohydrate, what's mm. fat, what is protein. Um, and is that something that you you've experienced as well? Like in in regards to food education and what we put in our mouth. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. If, yeah, I'm a, I'm a history teacher by tra by trade. So I mean I'm in schools quite a lot. So I can see firsthand the kind of resources that they're using to even at school, which is kind of where you'd probably first come across that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And you've got, um, obviously in the UK, we've got this eat well guide, which is telling us a third of your plate needs to be full of starchy carbohydrates, which is just absolute nonsense. So if the people at the top, the so-called experts can't get it right, how can we expect, you know, people at the, at the bottom to get it right? And it's, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just it's just bizarre and, and then you know even things like pieces you know fruits fruits i don't think fruits are you know i think fruit can be um you know obviously obviously quite healthy in, in certain situations but you know the advice that you need to eat five pieces of fruit on veg a day is just quite outdated there's no real science to you know convincing science to back that up so food education is a problem i think yeah what tends to be the problem is People are just consumers. They're just mindless consumers. They don't. When people go shopping, there's no mindful selection of the foods that they're eating. It's just the packaging looks really nice. It tastes really good. Let me eat it, and I worry about <laughs> the effects it has on my my health. Maybe a few years later, but um, you're right. Food ed food education is really poor. Um, and I think even just a knowledge of our history as a as a species and the fact that before ten thousand years ago. We didn't even have milk or cheese or anything like that butter before the advent of farming. We were hunter-gatherers, hunting animals on the savannas. So literally meat and water was um, sometimes, you know, all you'd kind of have access to. Yes, obviously you'd have fruits and stuff like that and honey if you were um, particularly savvy. But um, yeah, a lack of awareness is a big problem, big problem. And I think partly to blame for that is these big corporations that are just 
chugging out um, ultra processed food, which again there hasn't been. That's 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 something that's completely novel. We don't really have any good science behind the effects of some of those and what they're kind of wreaking on, especially children, which is uh, hard to think about. But yeah, awareness is a big problem. There'll be people listening to this, I'm sure, going, you know, but vegetables are healthy. We've been told to eat veg since we was a kid. Um, and, you know, there might be people listening to this that are, that are confused and, you know, they want to be able to put better food on their plates, on their dinners, you know, breakfast, lunches, etc. especially in the world that we live in. It's all fast paced. It's go, 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 go. So what would be um, some good advice to those people? You know, where could they go to get some better education in regards to, you know, the food that they're buying and eating? Um, it's a good question. I think... Um... I think as you were alluding to earlier, the kind of, you know, we've got some some really good kind of uh, medical people now that are kind of taking the carnivore on diet on board and they've got some really good resources. I do actually really like, I don't know if you've seen any of his, of his videos, Dr. Kenberry on YouTube. No, I've not heard of him. Yeah, I'll, um, yeah, if you, if you, if you research him, he has, he has a lot of videos which actually um, kind of break things. He's, he's a doctor obviously, but he's, he breaks things down into how to get into the carnivore diet what to look out for, what you need to kind of, how you can spot good food. Um, so he's he's a really good resource. And obviously the other two that you mentioned, Saladino and, and Sean Baker are quite good as well. Um, but I think I think social media is probably the, the, the way out of this because previously we've had, everything comes through the TV regarding food, doesn't it? And then every, everything on the TV is paid for, your packaging is paid for. So there's no real accountability there with, people that are selling you these foods and giving you information about what's healthy and what's not so if you follow people on social media that have you know a lot less of a financial incentive to lie to you you know you, you that's one of the things i loved about sean baker is that you go into youtube the guy is you know sharing his video with you saying listen i'm eating loads of steak every day i'm getting really healthy he's not making any profit off that yes okay he has a an online kind of persona and channels and media to Maybe he wants to grow and, and kind of start a business. Of course he does, but there's there's nothing being sold there. It's just, you know, one guy who's who seems pretty um, you know, pretty kind of well grounded, just trying to kind of share the his experience and trying to get a lot of people healthy. And that's one of the things I've realized about the carnival community. I suppose every I would say this, but that there is a lot of good people in there that will um are not just after kind of trying to sell you a quick a quick fix with uh, supplements and all these different fad things there are you know these people generally care about making the uh, the world a healthier place and obviously for me it's you know i think in the us it's picked off you know it's kicked off a lot um but the uk i don't think we've seen the same sort of uptake so that's the that's the aim i have with with instagram and things like that is just to raise awareness and make sure that you know as many people as possible are trying this trying this stuff yeah, and you guys listening should definitely give uh, Podrick a follow because his page, I come across your page um, when you was comparing, you're going around different supermarkets and you was finding sort of cheap carnivore wins. So I remember uh, the bone marrow in Waitrose that you found. Um, the, and I have to only say it in this accent, Parmiano Reggiano. <laughs> ultimate cheese <laughs> yeah, the cheeses that you found and for me that was just such a great stumble to come across um your, your post and your content because 
it was like ah excellent there is like a uk voice out here and there is someone who's put in that awareness and that education and you know these are good choices you know, i think people if we think if we go back a generation to my parents generation they come from that generation where you can't eat fat because you're going to get fat and i think that still trickled down to to you know their kids and then that's that's obviously gone on but for me if if i could wave a magic wand i'd change the name of that macro and not call it fat because people instantly think that if you eat something high in fat or contains lots of fat that you're going to get fat yeah um, the, the golden nugget that no nutritionist will tell you is that if you eat carbohydrates and fat together your body will store the fat because it it's harder for the body to burn and it it will save that for because it still thinks we're a hunter gatherer and it will go for that feast of famine approach mm. it will burn up the carbs because it's easier to turn into glucose so for example something like a cheesecake is the perfect combination of carbs and fats and they've done studies where rats will literally eat themselves to death because they cannot control you know the urge to stop eating something like that so the scientists have developed all these foods they, they've made it so palatable they just people have no control or just have these desires to to eat this food so i know i'm going on a little bit of a rant there but where i was going with it was that um i hope you're not trying to suggest that they're out to make money and they don't have our best interests at heart <laughs> Well, look, it, people will say, oh, you know, you're a cons conspiracy theorist and, and, and all this sort of stuff. And I think, in, you know, without trying to avoid that subject, and we could spend all day talking about it, I'm sure, um, like I'd love to get your thoughts and your insight on, on that side of the, the coin. Just in terms of the food industry? Yeah. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I don't. I don't think people. I don't. To be fair, I don't think it's as bad as in some countries like the US. Um, in terms of kind of, I don't know if you've seen their food pyramid, and what. The, <laughs> it's just. Uh, it's just. It's just completely. I just. I still don't believe it. But the stuff that they put out in, you know, and how they have the, um, you know, the people that are advising what to eat in terms of, um, you know, I can't remember what the US health body is called, but whoever's putting out the food pyramid and their links to um big farmer is just crazy and we don't really have the same as bad a situation here because we've um obviously the kind of eat well guide is publicly funded so it's not to the same extent but you still have quite a bit of corruption um but it's more about yeah it's more about as you said with the with the scientists and their their kind of behavior and their research um pretty good someone said something good to me a couple of months ago was that you know you really shouldn't be eating foods that need to be marketed and that's one of the reasons for it is that you know if it's in and in a package as well I, you know that's one of my things i don't really like eating foods that are in packaging because i know that's you know that food's undergone some sort of process in there's additives in there or it's been fortified or things like that so um yeah it's 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 it's, it's difficult really isn't it I, I remember having this conversation with a doctor once and I, you know i was kind of digging doctors i was saying you know, all you do is that, you know, fat people come to you and all you want to do is give them pills and not tell them to kind of lose weight and all that kind of stuff. And he said something back to me, which stuck to me. He said, well, actually, most of the people that come to see us, they don't want to do the exercise. They don't want to do the hard work and they don't want to give up the foods that they're eating. So, you know, that which was a completely fair point. I hadn't really thought about it that way. 
so people just you know people want to peel to you know if they're eating, if they eat, eating, eating shite for you know 40 50 years of their life they want to peel to make it right they don't want to go for a jog um so it's yeah it's a little bit of a two-way battle we have to i think we have to you know get companies acting in a more kind of ethical way but also as as we alluded to earlier i think education is the way that we fight from the bottom up so yeah two-pronged approach hopefully will will make some headway but i don't know the, the state of the situation now obesity still rising it's it's honestly quite scary yeah it's um it, it is tragic and, and like you say there's people out there that just want to take the the quick fix take the pill um and you know that whole sort of pharmaceutical world that we're in um i don't know about you but for me i try not to take any medication whatsoever i try to have a more of a holistic approach because mm. uh, for me you know if you take paracetamol or painkiller whatever it is it's almost like having a stone in your boot and you take a pill to ignore the stone in your boot rather than taking it out in the first yeah. place yeah um, and that's always been my approach to, to sort of medication. You know, I went to the doctors a few years back and I had a, an infection in my hand and the, he said, I need to put you on antibiotics. I said, like, do I really need them? What's, what's the, what would be the, if I didn't take them, what would be the possibilities? And he said, well, you, you could get septic, you could get infected. And he, and he asked me the question. He said, I had a lady in there before you begging me to give you antibiotics. And you're telling me no, you don't want them. Um, and I said, well, because with the greatest respects, like I know that yeah, they'll get rid of the bad bacteria in my gut, but they'll also kill all the good bacteria as well, which I've spent a lot of time and and money trying to correct and, and get balanced out right. So obviously, I didn't want to take the risk of of getting septic and blood poisoning, and you know, obviously, you can die from septicemia. So I uh, literally swallowed the pill and um, took it for the week or so and then just sort of made sure that i was trying to get you know a lot of gut healthy foods inside me after that um but yeah it's it, it's it's a position that we find ourselves in through like you say whether it's naivety whether it's lack of education um whether it's uh people just not caring and you know knowing that there's a health system that they don't have to pay for that if they become sick that they can lean on um yeah i suppose everyone's different and that's what makes the world go around but um i'd love to dive into some of the content that you've done um in spe specifically on your um your instagram page and you talk about the the sort of fake foods that you find in the supermarkets yeah if you could just give us a overview of, of that sort of stuff yeah i just yeah again it was one of those things that you just as i was walking through the supermarket you look at everything and you think 95% of what's in here is just a complete scam, complete scam. So one of the, I think one of the more prominent ones was the um, Elmlia, which is, you know, a lot of people were messaging me saying, oh my God, I had no idea that wasn't actually cream. Um, so I think it's actually a buttermilk and then they put loads of rubbish in it, like seed oils and, and gums and stabilizers. Um, so I don't think it, most of it is even dairy um so yeah it's just another another one is the um i don't think i'll put this in the video but there's a really insidious example of i don't know if you've ever seen greek style yogurt in the supermarkets as, I think as, yeah 
Yeah, as opposed to Greek yogurt. And what they do is they put the the style, the letters of the style, they put the Greek style in really small, smaller than anything else on the on the packet. So that obviously, you know, you get health people online saying, right, you need to eat Greek yogurt, which is which we well, don't need to, but it's a good it's good food for you to eat for various reasons. So people might see that, go to the supermarket, and then see, oh, Greek style yogurt. Let me buy that. But actually, Greek style yogurt is nothing like Greek yogurt. It's packed full of sugar. Um, again, makes you know, kind of colours and preservatives and whatnot in there. Whereas um, Greek yogurt is a lot more pure. So it's it's things like that. It's just every kind of label that you look at. It's just just a complete lie. Um, there's just yeah, margarine is another one I I detest. I can't. But you know, I have, sometimes I have to go to my parents' house and that's all they have. They don't have real butter, which uh, drives me crazy. So um yeah anything like that i can just try to do to raise awareness because honestly people honestly i had people messaging me saying elmley i've been buying that for years i thought it was cream <laughs> um so it's things like that i think it's you know it's a good idea just to try and kind of unravel and you know kind of air that door the, the dirty laundry in public so to speak yeah so i've seen you um post some stuff about raw dairy mm. And how how freely available is that in the UK? And could you just give us a bit of an overview about you know what raw dairy actually is? Because that might be a bit confusing to some people. Yeah, so I think probably milk is the the most kind of common. I always get questions about raw milk. Um, so obviously in the UK, if you buy milk in the store, it's been pasteurized, which basically means it's been nuked for six seconds at seventy two degrees, whatever it is, um, to give it a longer shelf life. So um yeah raw milk is just literally just comes out of the other it's then held for cooling and then um kind of sold straight to the customer and there's really weird laws about that in the uk where you can't buy it in a shop but you can buy it in a market or directly from a farm um which is kind of bizarre because you know raw milk's unbelievably safe but people have this kind of perception that actually if you drink some of it there's a chance you can get um you kind of bacterial infections and, and things like that but it's just not true those cases are extremely extremely rare nowhere near enough to justify the measures that have been taken against it um but raw milk actually i think raw milk is growing you know um because it's it's um i get it in a farmer's market so i'm in london so obviously i'm quite lucky so they have a lot of farmer's markets every saturday morning so i've got one in ballam near me which i go and get my milk from um in central they have uh, borough market which sells raw milk, I think Thursday to Saturday. Um, and then there's quite a good few shops and farms that do online deliveries. Um, and the one I normally get from is Hill Farm Real Food, which are, um, you know, really good kind of, I think they're based in Cumbria. They're really good. They do the cheese as well, kefir, which some people are interested in, uh, cream as well, which is quite nice. Um, so yeah, so really, I think it's, I would say it's widely available. I think if you look for it, if you look for it hard enough, it's easy, it's easy enough to get, yeah. And what would be, um, so we're talking about the raw dairy, obviously we know that there's some, and it feels again, I try not to go down this conspiracy, but it feels like being kept out of supermarkets purely for, you know, profit driven and, and big company reasons. Um, and here we are, you know, we've got very hard working, honest farmers around, the country that are doing some really good work is there any like um sort of websites that that you can go to that will direct you where the the raw farm stuff is or is it just a simple google search actually there is um western a price so if people wanted to see where their kind of local raw milk supplier was if they can go on um 
the Western A Prize kind of foundation have a, a a UK map, and it kind of shows you if you type in your postcode, you can get your kind of local supplier that way. So, um, and there's loads of kind of Instagram pages. What I'm going to try and do actually is try and to try and promote some of them, um, maybe over the next few weeks or so. So if people are kind of wanting to get raw milk, I can maybe just give them give them a few names and obviously. You know free market then if there's one that's cheaper than the others or kind of better quality or in you get a1 and a2 as well different types of protein obviously so if people are more lactose intolerant they they might want to go for the a2 milk um so yeah loads of different options but yeah raw dairy is amazing not just because of its um the milk's like creamier it's just obviously it's a high slightly higher fat percentage even than whole milk yeah. and it's just a yeah freshness to it that i i love and you can almost it sounds a bit Cringy, but you can almost taste the the kind of enzymes that haven't been spoiled and the vitamins it kind of feels good in the stomach it's kind of yeah more of a, a kind of uh you know a stronger taste and it's just yeah as you said it's a bit expensive so it's not something i can kind of uh include on a daily basis but definitely as a, as a weekend treat i really like the uh the routine of going to get some and the the western a price i'd like you to just sort of touch a little bit more on that for us if you can yeah western a price um so yeah he's uh, obviously a, a kind of scientist who went around um i think it was in the early 20th century kind of looking at primitive cultures the ones that were still kind of left in the um i think he went to papua new guinea someone might correct me on that but i think it was that part of the world where he looked at some of the kind of last hunter-gatherer tribes and he got the a really interesting time where they he'd studied them before while they were eating their kind of um ancestral diet um kind of meat eating and things like that fruit and honey and then actually he'd they'd kind of kind of done this study where they were introduced to a western westernized diet that was you know popular in australia and new zealand and whatnot and he kind of you know he was there to kind of detail the essentially the deterioration of their health so the markers in their uh, dental health um, their kind of skin, the kind of joint arthritis, they just found that when they were eating um, a diet, a westernized diet that was kind of high in sugar, uh, low fat, high carb, um, some of the, you know, some of the vegetables were starting to come out then as well, that their, yeah, their, their, their health just fell off a cliff, even, you know, things like fertility as well. So that was kind of the main kind of big study that was able to do that because obviously now, you know, medical ethics were a bit, a bit different back then i'm not sure on the details about whether they were intentionally introduced to a western diet or whether that was just i don't know some sort of, kind of a result of migration or something i'm not sure but um so yeah he did a he did kind of a really famous work on um his books called um i think nutrition nutrition and, and degradation something like that i can't remember the full title it's a big work but it essentially details all the problems about um the western diet and the effect that it has on health and it's 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 a long read but and it's difficult at times but it's um i haven't actually finished it myself but it's it's just it's interesting but also tragic at the same time about how that you know the effect that some of these foods are having the same foods that we're eating today are having on are having on our health so yeah and then he's basically he's he's long dead western a price but his foundation is um kind of set up to draw attention to the fact that actually what we're eating is not ancestrally appropriate um so yeah so that that's why they're kind of big on raw milk i'd love you to to dive in for us as well because you, you've said it a couple of times and people might be sort of confused about 
you know, different names and, and taglines and descriptions, but the the ancestral sort of diet or the ancestral way of eating or living. Could you just sort of give us an overview of that as well, please? Yeah, I think um, so. I think ancestral and carnival would be pretty much synonymous. Um, there, there is. I'm sure you're aware. There is a paleo diet, which is actually probably a little bit more popular than carnival. So that would be meat, but it would also be things like nuts, um, tubers, um, seeds, other seeds, and then uh, fruit. And then a paleo diet would um, exclude dairy because it's everything before the Neolithic revolution. So I think ancestral is, I'm not aware of that being kind of like a specific diet that people follow. I think ancestral is just kind of like a an umbrella term that incorporates these diets like carnivore animal animal bases another one which is basically carnivore plus um maybe fruit and honey because i don't think carnivore strictly is should be fruit and honey and then yeah paleo would probably fall under that umbrella as well so there's a lot of i can see why it's confusing for people because there's a lot of kind of buzzwords thrown out there um and people don't really and actually the diets themselves don't really have strict <laughs> kind of rules to, to kind of follow unless you're on something like paleo um so yeah i think ancestral is just a kind of umbrella term it's, it's loosely defined just to make sure that we're at least the focus at least what i try to tell people is like come on 80 90 percent i'm not saying you have to follow it to a t but making sure that you're largely eating foods that we would have eaten uh 50 000 years ago like like red meat um I, I, I like dairy. I don't I don't think that's a bit of a problem, even though it only really came about the last 10, 12,000 years. Um, fruit, maybe on occasion, if it's kind of local and seasonal, honey. Um, so, yeah, that would be my kind of rough definition of that. And I think it's a subject that we need to sort of cover off and discuss as well, that, um, you know, the stuff that's been played out in the media, that, you know, red meat gives you cancer, um, salt will give you, uh, you know, make cause heart attacks and cardiac arrests, etc. Mm. And the Western A sort of price, the advice was almost like, you know, have eat your eggs with your yolks, make sure you have your full fat milk, you know, cook and eat with butter, um, lots of meats, organs, etc. I think, you know, because we've been stuff's been demonized so much in the media um, in regards to red meat uh can we can we just sort of um you know discuss that subject because that's a topic that i hear all the time oh, you can't eat that too much there's too much red meat it's bad for you and i i always like why well because that's what they say and i will say you've got to ask the question why whenever you hear that stuff just ask the why and then see what response you get back yeah there's as far as i'm aware there's no kind of strong studies or science that kind of um shows a, a correlation uh at least a correlation not let alone causation between red meat and any of the things that were mentioned there heart disease i think is kind of the big one and actually if you look at i don't know if you've dug into um the stuff in the 60s where all this came from ansel keys and the american heart association where essentially he'd done a study over <laughs> um you know a host of different countries and he couldn't find any kind of any any small pattern between red meat intake and and cardiovascular disease. So what he decided to do quite conveniently was just throw out the results that didn't 
kind of comply with this original theory which you wanted to find which was that red meat was bad for us this all comes back to the fact that you can't you can't um you can't make these things in a factory you can't replicate red meat and fat in although they're trying their hardest to now you can't re you can't uh, make that in a factory and you can't sell it for profit what you can make quite easily in self-profit is carbohydrates and sugar-based goods so um yeah the, the history you know murky to say the least between these people these kind of scientists in the, the aha a hard to say and um yeah all these kind of you know people in big food and the sugar industries that wanted to decrease the reliance on people um kind of buying their food locally from farms and you know being good capitalists and consumers in the in the free market so yeah very murky history but as you said if you actually ask people well actually why or what evidence do you have for that they always they give you that kind of vacant expression that they're not sure or they just heard on the tv or the guardian might have had an article out you know chastising it recently you know it's it's just it's just nonsense propaganda most of it isn't it clickbait you know put put a big headline up there trying to get some people to read it and views and shares and advertising etc yeah um, I, I remember listening to um you see the joe rogan debate with the game changer guys who was on there with the who was he on there with i can't remember chris kessler i think it was I'm not sure. No, I don't think I did see that one actually, because I, I actually, I haven't even brought myself to watch Game Changers yet. I think I'll have to do that at some point just for the laugh of it. Yeah. Um, but no, I haven't actually seen that debate. Um, I've seen uh, what's their names? Um, Dr. Diane. She done um, wrote Sustainable Dish. She did a documentary called The Sacred Cow. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That was. They, they were quite good on there, but um, yeah, I'm not sure if I've seen the Game Changers one. I might have to look that one up. Mm yeah it was interesting because um like there's been i know there's been a lot of debunking of the game changer and it felt like around that time there was this momentum of you know go vegan eat plant-based save the world you know cow methane and farts and poo causing all this havoc with greenhouse gases and which you know a lot of that stuff has been totally debunked um and and the, the movement is now more towards um is it regenerative farming yeah where they move the cows around the fields um, yeah allow, allow the earth and the soil to recover um there's actually a, a, a local butcher um around this part of the woods that is an is an ethical butcher um you know he he knows all these animals by name um he, he yeah he uses all of the, the the cuts all of the organs and um he's actually a guy that i'm just trying to get on the podcast so hopefully i've had an opportunity to have a chat with him in the future about all the good work that he's doing down there but you know there are there are businesses butchers out there that you know do the quality meats that and, and i think you know I, I know there's the big sort of whole carnivore vegan uh keto vegetarian pescatarian it's almost like a bit like tribalism where yeah. you know people want that belonging you know a bit like a football shirt um you know i'm in i'm in this gang i'm in that tribe we're better than you you're you're worse than us all that all that sort of stuff but um it's really about you know knowledge um awareness like you say 
and not always believing the stuff that we're told whether that's on the internet on the news you know this is good for us this is bad for us etc um and and going out there and doing your own research and being your own sort of experiment on on yourself what works for you what doesn't yeah um you had a meetup recently down at borough market we did yeah that was something new actually i remember putting a story up because i've try to cut down basically uh, not on the weekends i'd spend uh you know to kind of kind of drinking and then just this whole kind of yeah carnival kind of diet has put me on the the straight and narrow so yeah it's just about i find you know instagram is great and it's uh it's nice kind of talking to people online but there's something that's just a bit uh dystopian about you know only having kind of online friends so i just wanted to I'm a big fan. I just kind of, you know, I don't, I don't really like being on my phone a lot and typing messages. I'm not really, don't really like this you know, kind of method of communication. So, um, something like this, a podcast, is quite nice. But yeah, bringing people into, you know, into real life. And then we we had a bit of a coffee. We went round and we got a bit of, I think we got a few oysters. It was about, I think it was about six or seven of us. Um, was it two weeks ago? Um, got some beef. Um, got some cheese to bring home um yeah had a bit of coffee and you know you actually find that a lot of these people are very like-minded they they come from a similar position as you where basically the the health authorities that be have let them down in some way or they might be having a carb addiction or a sugar addiction or something like that where we have this uh we all have this chip on our shoulder where we've seen something wrong and we're trying to trying to make sure that people can can see that too so that was really nice and i'm i'm aiming to do me and uh hayley is her name who's uh super me girl we're kind of aiming to do a few more of those so anyone that's in london or you know, kind of in the near area even if you're in london just for a weekend then yeah we're going to try and do more of those so it'd be good to kind of you know broaden our horizons that way i think it's a great thing that you're doing because clearly you know you've got like you say the following and, and the, the stuff that's online but to actually meet and greet uh in person is a bit of a sin feels like it's a bit of a dying art yeah um, especially after the last couple of years where you know the, the whole lockdown stuff um so it's great to meet people face to face you know whether that's via a, a video call you know i much prefer to do this in person but you know given the the, the time restrictions amongst us all and and real life um, responsibilities but yeah it'd be great for i'd love to see that grow um for you guys to grow that uk carnivore community face-to-face -face meetings um i'll look to try and get down to one of them in the near future as well because i think it'd be great to to you know like you say meet with like-minded people so yeah you'd be very welcome um i just want to go back to um the, the point that i was trying to make on the on the macro fat um and, and eating fat you know people have got this belief that uh you know if you eat something that's high in fat that that you are literally just going to start getting fatter and fatter and fatter. Um, just wondered if you could just describe to me about how you know how you found your sort of weight loss um, and and your experience with that when when you first you know did you notice was it uh, around the waist was it um, all over your body you know how, how did that go for you? Um, yeah, it was generally all over the body actually. I remember losing because people kind of you go off people's remarks a lot of people told me i've lost a lot of weight off my face um i've noticed kind of like the upper 
upper torso. Um, so yeah, it wasn't it wasn't kind of all centered around the the stomach. Um, I've still got a bit of kind of I call it stubborn like a like a beer belly, which is uh, kind of why I'm trying to experiment with the fasting a little bit. Um, that's that's the result of so I had a bit of weight loss to start, and then what I found is that I was probably actually overeating a little bit on carnival. So um, so yeah, I just kind of maybe I kind of looked at myself and I was thinking, well, actually I haven't gone to the gym today. Do I really need to eat two massive meals? Um, so I've done a bit of moderation recently and that seems to have, um, you know, got me started in the right direction again. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's bizarre. It's, it's ironic because people have the idea that if you eat fat, you get fat, but actually that's kind of what carbohydrates do if you eat them in excess. So yeah, it's yeah. a twisted logic, but there we are. That's where we're at. Yeah. And, um, so people think that, that the carnivore diet is all ribeyes and, and great big, you know, bone in sirloins and Coke de Boeufs and Chateaubriands and, you know, all yeah, all, all different cuts. But, um, you know, honestly, from, from my experience, I probably have one, maybe two steaks a week if I'm lucky. Um, a lot of the other time, purely to keep costs down, uh, I eat a lot of uh, beef mints. So typically, like my first meal of the day um, would be around sort of midday, one o'clock, and it would be um, around about 250 grams of cooked beef mints, um, as high fat and as quality as I can afford or get. Um, I'll put some cheese over that, typically cheddar, sometimes um, the parmigiano reggiano. <laughs> um, cover it in salt. Um, and that would typically be like my first meal. Um, again, it's 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 pretty cost. I can get a kilo of steak hash mince for ten pound in my local butcher, and um, I'm I'm able to sort of make five lunches out of that. Which you know, if you're looking at two pound um, a lunch plus maybe twenty p on us on on some cheese, uh, you know, two pound twenty twenty for a highly nutritious and delicious lunch you know given what you pay these days for these meal deals and and you know all the different fast food stuff seems in comparison really sort of cheap to me um really the, what i'm trying to get to is that you have to plan your food um if you're going to go down this carnivore approach or animal-based approach or you know something similar that you can't just stop at a, a bp petrol station and try and make sure that you're you're sort of strict to it you have to have either food with you or you know know that you're going to be able to make this pit stop here to be able to to meet it one if you could give us a bit of advice on on sort of your approach and how you deal with it especially with like social events you know if you're going out for dinner or family gathering you know how would you navigate that um yeah so I'm, I'm the same as you i'd normally do two steaks a week that's what i'm at now and then my other days would probably be mince based so keep it cheap with mince and cheese and maybe eggs as well on the side mm -hmm. um maybe some bacon in there as well um so yeah i don't think it's actually on carnival because you're eating maybe two meals a day i find that i've i don't know i've saved money with carnival because i don't you know you think about things like ketchup and um all the rubbish that you used to buy in terms of margarine and dips and sauces that you cut out under under carnival you save a lot of money um so that's how i manage the cost side of things 
if I'm going out, I always, I'll just make sure to check the menu if I'm going out for dinner. And what I'll do is I'll just to take away any of the kind of, I guess, the small anxiety that I might have that maybe the restaurant doesn't have anything I have. Um, actually, you'll find that most restaurants do a steak or they'll do some sort of kind of meat dish. Um, and really, if I'm going out for dinner and there's not like a perfect meal that, that requires, I don't know, that maybe has a few potatoes in it or something or a bit of veg, that's not something that I'm going to, you know, going to wrangle about. I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to eat that because it's not something I'm not really um, dogmatic about that that kind of stuff. It's one meal. It's like, you know, a few veggies, which I actually, I'm of the position that, that you know, a lot of people are kind of screaming, oh, plants are trying to kill you and the harmful. Don't think, I don't think that's the kind of, um, I don't think that's kind of a fair assessment. It's more that they're just maybe suboptimal and don't give you anywhere near the nutrition that a slab of red meat does. So, um, so yeah, that's how I deal with it. I think just pretty a lot of it's just kind of common sense, planning ahead, as you said, um, with your lunches and your meals. Um, and then, yeah, if you have any kind of anxieties or family gatherings, I think the main battle is staying off the drink. That's what I found anyway. Food's been all right because mostly it's been barbecues or... Um, you know they my family are kind of well aware that I, I love a I love I love meat so they'll they'll cater for me in that way but yeah trying to make sure that you're you're staying relatively sober I think is the main thing so you don't kind of fall off the wagon next day yeah I've um so it'll be three years in February that I've not had a drop of alcohol um, oh wow I wasn't the biggest drinker in the world anyway but I'd be your typical binge drinker where I wouldn't drink for six weeks and then I'd go on like a crazy bender and, you know, drink six weeks worth of booze in one night. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, just felt horrible for probably best part of a week. Um, the older I got, the less bounce back ability that I had from, you know, recovering from big nights out and stuff. So, yeah, it's, um, I suppose, really, it's, it's all like a, it's been a bit of a progression because I remember hangovers and just craving, you know, like shit food, yeah. takeaways and stuff. So, yeah, I wanted to speak to you about um, organs. Because mm. I know, obviously, you've got the whole movement at the moment with Liver King online and, you know, eating the raw liver and, um, you know, the, the, the stuff that he's promoting, the, the ancestral life. And I, I agree with probably 99% of the stuff that he says um i think it's a little bit you have to take it tongue in cheek because for me he reminds me of like a wwf wrestler yeah 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 exactly the way he comes across but you know i think he's 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 fun he's promoting a really good message if if you could you know take on uh, a lot of the stuff that he does you know you'd definitely be moving in the right direction but where do you stand with organs and, and do you eat them and what's your sort of favorite ones if you do yeah i do i do eat them i don't eat them every day which some people do don't think that's necessary i don't think we i don't think we'd naturally i don't think there's an instinct to eat them they're not the the most flavorsome of <laughs> of meats to consume but i think once or two, i probably me for about once a week i'll pro i'll throw in some uh i try and get my hands on beef liver but that's weirdly scarce i can't find it anywhere the butcher at my farmer's market says that he just has trouble getting livers from the back from the slaughterhouse. It's any of the big supermarkets near me don't do it. Um, so yeah, a lot of times I have to rely on lamb liver, mm -hmm. um, and that's probably as far as I go with with organs. To be honest, I do the bone marrow. It's technically it's not really an organ, but it's kind of falls into that category. Um, I don't really, I don't really mess around with the kidneys and 
Um, what's the other one that they do in the store? Like chicken hearts, maybe sometimes they do those in Nando's. I don't mind chicken hearts. Mm-hmm. I get that with regards to the Brazilian kind of rodeo, rodeo, rodeo places. So, yeah. um, so yeah, I think that's just you know, just livers are great. They're absolute nutrition powerhouse. Mm-hmm. So throwing it in there, the old, the old meal was just a great idea, but it's not something you need to to take every day. No way. Yeah, I, I um, try and have liver twice a week. Um, I've tried it raw and there was a period that I went through where I actually felt like I preferred the taste of raw liver to it cooked um, just, just because I find the cooked part quite irony. Yeah. Um, where I was just sort of having tiny little cubes of the liver. Once you get your, your head round that you're eating one, an organ and two, that it's raw, um, it was actually quite nice. <laughs> so, but again, you know, each to their own, you've, you've, you've got to, do these trials to find out whether you like it or not. Um, you touched on it there a little bit with the chicken hearts, but do you eat much chicken? Uh, good question. Not really. Um, a lot of a lot of people chastise chicken a little bit unfairly. Um, I I don't cook it at home. I don't have chicken at home just because you, if I had a chicken meal, I'd notice the difference because I'm so used to to beef and you know losing that fat is you know it's it's very tangible but um i go to nando's quite a bit i really love having the chicken at nando's and what i'll do is i'll just get you know loads of halloumi and then maybe a bit of kind of avocado as well guacamole or whatever they do there i can't remember actually just to make kind of make up for the, the kind of fat loss and it's it's perfect i love chicken it's it's a great i think it's a great meat to have and it's just not something i can really get away with having often just because i would still be hungry after having it so yeah. So yeah, chicken's a good option though. Nothing wrong with chicken. Yeah, I love like the chicken on the bone with skin on. Um, I, I think over the years, like going through my bodybuilding phase of eating skinless, boneless chicken breasts, um, <laughs> the fault now of that is just so totally unsatisfying um, compared to you know some nice fatty lamb or beef. Um, it just doesn't come anywhere near how satisfying and satiating it is. So um, that's just a consideration for people if they are um, you know, going to trial this or go down uh, like a carnivore animal-based route that you know, chicken pro- probably won't be that very fulfilling once you're a few weeks into it. Um, I want to touch on... Um, sorry, mate, go on. No, I was just saying sadly not about the chicken. Yeah. Uh, and again, you know, I still smash the Nando's. Um, you know, I'll happily go in there and get uh, a full chicken, you know, and I, and I love eating the skin off the bone and I'll get some pineapple from there. And like you say, the halloumi for the extra fat. Um, and, you know, people are sort of looking at your dish, you know, where's your garlic bread? Where's your chip? <laughs> um, and that normally prompts the conversation when I get my own salt out of my pocket and start shaking, <laughs> uh, covering it in, in myself. But I wanted to speak to you um, about the carnivore diet and there's a sort of tag that goes around with some of the strict carnivore guys that meat heals and in particular in regards to skin conditions mm. at the start um you had you had like a, or issues with flaky scalp um i've had in particular sort of dermatitis on the hands mm. um, i know people talk about um infertigo and eczema and all different types of skin conditions that once they cut out all of the crap 
and the starches and, and go down this carnivore route. And like you say, maybe at the start as an elimination diet, you might do it for 30, 60, 90 days. And then you start introducing foods back in to see if it reacts with your, you know, your whether you get bloating, wind, or, you know, your, your skin conditions flare up again. I just love to sort of delve into that because I think that's another, that's um, almost like a secondary benefit or bonus you know from eating this style that if people are suffering with acne or you know all the different types of conditions that they're out there that might be spending a lot of money on expensive creams and ointments that in actual fact you could throw that stuff in the bin yeah. save some money and, and eat in a in a typical um you know uh what's the word ancestral way you know eating the foods that we would have eaten 10 plus thousand years ago you know how, how the impact has that on the skin yeah so i actually i had really bad acne at school when i was uh yeah when i was at high school and i remember my doctor put me on steroids to basically get get rid of the acne and it worked it worked it was amazing it worked but you know what he wasn't asking me and what was the main problem was actually what i was eating and you know we talked about this earlier about my kind of sugar addiction the carb addiction which was really bad at school i think it must have been related to kind of like the anxiety and stress of exams and stuff um but yeah i remember every day going on, on the way home buying like a five bag of cookies and eating them before i had dinner and then after dinner i've done yogurts and more kit kats and shite like that and you know i'd sit there wondering why my skin was all red um so yeah, I think because obviously the the great thing about the carnival diet is that it's fast in mimicking. So all the benefits that you get from eating no food at all, you get with well, not all of them, but most of them, most of the big ones, you get with um, yeah, eating in a kind of state of ketosis. So um, as you said, yeah, part of it's to do with you know probably the toxic crap that people are eating and then removing that from the system, less information. Um, and then you've also got like the kind of autophagy that's going on at the same time when you when you eat a kind of when you get fat adapted and you you're eating a carnivore diet which which yeah in my personal experience especially with the fasting side of things just you know the, the difference to my skin facial skin my obviously my scalp um and then i had eczema as a as a kid but i don't really get flare-ups anymore so yeah it's powerful and i think skin is one of those things that is um because it's something you can see I think a lot of people are kind of um, really kind of kind of self-conscious about that. And I think that's one of probably, you know, I, I know a lot of people that have got psoriasis and yeah, dermatitis and, you know, being able to kind of, yeah, heal their skin, get you know, without rashes and stuff does wonders for the, for confidence and mental health. So yeah, definitely a, a way that, you know, carnivals had a lot of success in that, in that field. Mm. I think when you hear, you know because people will say oh that's just anecdotal there's no proof behind it but when you hear you know the likes of um george st pierre you know the ufc fighter um uh joe rogan he talks about it you know when they do the carnivore january um and i think it's in Tigo, i think is the condition that he struggles with you know when he says that that clears up within that month um you know for me there has to there has to be something in it because you know our skin our epidermis it's it's like a it's a microfiber you know it's the biggest sponge that we have it's the biggest organ on our body that you know is is open to stuff that's in shower gel shampoos um soaps 
you know, you can't go anywhere these days without having um, an antibacterial um, thrust within your face wherever you go. And um, so, yeah, I think it's just, it's again, for people just to be mindful of that, you know, what you put not only in your mouth, but on your skin, potentially yeah. impact that can have to your overall skin health and, and general well-being as well. Podrick, I think now is a perfect time for us to dive into our standard chase and discomfort questions. So what's the best advice you've ever been given? Uh, best advice I've ever had, I think, is very simply just to work hard and be nice. I think that feeds into question two as well, if I remember correctly. I think my answer to number one and number two were, were the same. So, yeah, I really love that advice. It's short, simple, easy to remember. I think you'll go a long way if you do those two things. Mm -hmm. So what's the one non-negotiable rule that you live by? There we are. I knew I did remember it well. Yeah, that's that's my rule. I'm going to cheat just on that one. I'm going to use the same answer as the one before. Yeah, work hard, be nice. Yeah, solid, uh, solid rules. Favourite quote? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I thought I quite like the Eleanor Roosevelt one. Uh, she says, um, great minds discuss ideas. Average minds discuss events. Small minds discuss people. Yeah, I like that one. Yeah, that's a good one. Dream car or dream machine? Oh, yeah, pickup truck for me. Yeah? Yeah, I'd love a bit. I don't, I don't, I'm not a, kind of car geek and you know if, if i ever got rich i don't i say this now it's quite easy to say this now isn't it but i don't think i'd ever kind of squander a lot of my wealth on fancy sports cars and stuff just a maybe g-wagon or a, a kind of a humble G, uh, pickup truck for me would be would be swell bit of american muscle maybe yeah that's it yeah a few dogs in the back my farm <laughs> nice um two dinner guests you'd invite either dead or alive uh, who would I like to speak to? Um, Michael Collins, a famous figure in Irish history. I'd quite like to speak to him. He done a lot of great things. Um, and who else would I like to speak to? Uh, it's got to be, I'd say, Leo Messi, my favourite, my favourite sportsman, my favourite footballer. I'd love to get it just to sit him down, and even though his English isn't great. So you're you're a Messi man over the two, are you? I am, I am. Yeah, no contest. <laughs> <laughs> What's your ring walk stroke hype song? What's the one that gets you your blood boiling? Which of my blood boiling? Um, I quite like, um, what's his name? Kelbrook, All of the Lights. Oh, I, yeah. I quite like that one. That's quite a buzz one. I like that ring walk, yeah. I'd use that. The Kanye West song, yeah. Love it. Book you've read more than once and why? Read more than once. Um, I've read, I'm going to go with a really simple answer. I've read the Harry Potter books about three or four times because they're just incredible, just engrossing, clever. Um, so, yeah, normally I'm actually quite big on nonfiction, but in that in that instance, I've, I'd go with the fiction. I like the, I like the leisure. Cool. Favourite film? Favourite film is Goodwill Hunting. I could relate to that a lot at school where I was a bit of a geek, but I tried to act cool. So, yeah, I really like that. Very famous scene in that where he kind of breaks down to his psychiatrist, which is, yeah, one of the best scenes ever. I really like that film a lot. What do you do when you start feeling down? 
Uh, into nature for me. If I was ever feeling down, it's I think it's a little bit of a take it as a warning sign for my body that something's not quite right in the environment. So go for a long walk, ditch the phone, maybe leave the phone off or on airplane mode or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just get immersed in green in nature. Yeah, great advice. Your favourite method of recovery? Oh, sauna. It's got to be sauna. Sauna, and then I'd jump in the cold shower for a few minutes. So, yeah, sadly, the shower at my gym is not that cold. It doesn't really get that as cold as an ice bath or something like that. I'd get the proper benefits from, but mm. um, when you yeah, when you come out of a sauna, it's nice, though. So, yeah, cold and hot immersion. I've noticed the last couple of mornings it's been around six degrees where I live. Oh, it's been awful. <laughs> the the cold shower the last two mornings has been, <laughs> yeah, it's getting cold again because you get spoiled with the summer because the sadly I know the, the water temperatures at about 16, 18 degrees and then it starts dipping. You can feel it a little bit, but then the last two mornings, whoo, that's been a proper wake-up call that has been. Been chilly, yeah. Um, spirit animal. Uh, oh, I think a panda. I just like to people. I, uh, we had a joke at kind of university. A couple of my friends used to call me panda, so it's just the way I was just, I don't know, just like a big fuzzy bear, but didn't really do much, just kind of like kind of lounged around a lot. <laughs> you have to be the first carnivore eating panda, not eating um shoots of bamboo. You have to bamboo, be, yeah. <laughs> What's your mantra when the going gets tough? Mantra when the going gets tough. Um, I quite like that. The uh, just the stoic phrase, memento mori, which is obviously remember that we all die and that nothing's really that, that serious. So yeah, it's good. Cool. Um, favorite treat? Uh, favorite treat? Uh, I do love a donut. I think it might have to be a donut. Yeah, and I still, I still, sorry, I'd still probably, um, very occasionally, I might have one of those if it's a special occasion. I'm not really a, that neurotic about it. If it's, yeah, another nice jam donut or an ice ring donut. Favourite place in the UK? Uh, I think that would have to be the Lake District. I've only been once, but it's just incredible up there. Um, so that if I could live anywhere in the UK, it would be there for sure. It's a popular answer, Lake District, for that question. Um, I recently come back from Snowdonia for the first time. And uh, when you're driving through the windy little bends in between the, the, the mountains there, it just feels... We was out early in the morning, the mist was up, the sunrise was coming up, and it felt... The only way I can describe it, it felt Jurassic. Mm. it didn't feel like if we turned the corner and we see this great big dinosaur there, <laughs> you know this slate and rock has been there for thousands and thousands of thousands of years and will outlive you know me for sure and, and be around for many more thousands of years and it's just amazing like you know what those hills and mountains have seen you know in their time it just for me that's what i love about nature it gives me that reset yeah great yeah Lake District again, you know, similar, you know, with all the loose scree and the and the slate and the rock around and the waterfalls. It's a beautiful place. Top bucket list pick. This could either be something that you've done or something that you want to do. 
Uh, I want to go to Brazil or South America more generally. I haven't been over to that continent yet. I think Brazil is quite. Brazil picks my fancy. I think it must be the the meat-based culture and the you know the sun and the sea. Yeah, Brazil looks like a really cool place. I'd love to go there and maybe check out Machu Picchu. Uh, that's in Peru. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. And our guy who's been to the top of that. Um, what's your favourite and least favourite exercise movements? Um, I don't like doing upper back. I find that quite awkward sometimes. Um, or the middle of my back can be quite awkward. And my favourite exercise. Um, I quite, I quite like doing the overhead press. I quite like working my shoulders. Um, yeah, anything that does the upper, kind of upper chest area or upper body, I quite like. Yeah. Favorite sport? Oh, it's gonna be football. Yeah, no debate about that. Extra bonus question then: Who do you support? Uh, I'm a Chelsea fan. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, I'm a West Ham fan, so. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, what advice would you give to a younger you? Advice to younger me, I would say, um, I think, yeah, the kind of the page and the social media has allowed me to be myself a little bit more. I got, a, you know, a bit kind of, I don't know, I was isolated during like the shutdowns and stuff because I didn't agree with kind of like most of what was going on and basically my friends around me and family was like all on boards it was like and we you know actually i kept quiet for a few months and kept my head down and kind of went along with a lot of things but actually i was i think if you're set against something and you know that you're you're kind of pretty sure that you're right in your convictions about something then you should you should speak out and be be forthright about that so that's what i'd i'd say to myself um to my younger self definitely yeah mm. What was it? Was it like a gut instinct or, or, you know, what really sort of was the red flags for you at that time? Um, I, th I think just, just the any kind of anyone with more than two brain cells knows that the kind of measures that were taken were kind of way over the top. And there was no regard for the enormous harms that were going to be as a result of just locking down the entire country it was just, a, you know, a really silly thing to do in even at the time it was silly but now in hindsight as what we're seeing with the economy and all the harms that have come out of um you know we've got excess deaths in this country are um you know 16.6 percent above the five-year average at the end of august so you know that's a result of um you know obviously the nhs has been kind of shut off for two years and other people have kind of died as a result of those decisions so and, you know, i could kind of tell that was going to happen at the time I kind of saw through the kind of lockdown kind of fallacy and how it was just a bit of a bet and wasn't a great long-term approach. Um, so, yeah, and then, you know, again, as I kind of alluded to at the start of when we started talking about kind of seeing the lies between, you know, the, the pharma companies who were kind of obviously releasing this product that they wanted to earn loads of money off. It's the same with the food industry now that I've kind of awoken to. So just those kind of patterns that was really kind of, you know, made me quite angry and, you know, hopefully I'm trying, trying to channel that now into something positive and helpful. So hopefully that makes a bit of a difference. Yeah, no, like I said earlier, I think the content that you, you're putting out is, is very positive. Um, you know, even just from a food educational 
uh, awareness point you know people are uh, you know like we said before you, you don't see adverts for steak or milk or eggs you know all the adverts are for you know the the gummy bears or the sugar laden treats or the fast food restaurants that deliver to your door and all this sorts of stuff so um now i think you know like you say if you're able to channel that negativity but come out with a with a positive channel that's great stuff future plans um i'd like to do um i don't make any money off um what i'm doing at the moment i'd like to kind of make it if not my kind of entire kind of job i'd like to kind of try and help people but do something where i can kind of give up a bit more of my time or even a call forward to so i'm quite um i might be looking into kind of doing a bit of holistic health coaching so just a bit, obviously a bit of consultation with um centered around the carnival diet but i've kind of expanded a bit more now into kind of looking at things that you were alluding to earlier about deodorants and cosmetics and you know how much time you spend in nature how you're dealing with stress um, I can see you're wearing, I think they're blue blockers, aren't they? So, yeah, how we're interacting with, with light and circadian rhythms and things like that. So that's my future, yeah, plans for the future. And then, yeah, we'll kind of see how that goes, really. Yeah, sounds great. Where can people find more about you? So shout out all your handles, your socials, etc. Yeah, I think, well, to be honest with you, I'm just on Instagram at the moment. I, You know, I think I've got an addictive personality. So I think if I had more than one social media channel, I'd, I wouldn't ever leave the house. So... Yeah, it's the Carnival UK on Instagram. Um, I'm confined to that at the moment. I, I may kind of try and start something on Twitter. I'm not really sure how kind of big that stuff is over there. But um, yeah, we'll see. I'm, I'm not kind of on Facebook. I don't really do YouTubing. Um, I might start doing maybe a couple of podcasts um, in the future because I've, I've quite enjoyed this and I've done a couple others as well. Yeah, um, yeah I quite like these conversations. So um but yeah the kind of all you can instagram is kind of my, my main port call great stuff podrick thank you very much for coming on to the chase and discount it's been great to speak to you about your experiences and um you know the things that you're doing on your page people i recommend everyone and give them a follow um just purely if it's out of interest um i guarantee that you will take something that's positive uh, and could be life-changing for yourself. So The Carnivore UK on Instagram. Podrick, thank you very much for coming on the Chasing Discomfort Show. Yeah, thanks, mate. Pleasure.